Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. Hi guys, welcome back to another show. Uh, yes, I know it's been a while, but I'm back, and uh, yes, coming back with a series of podcasts. Um, yeah, been a bit inactive really on the podcast front in the last six months to nine months. Did a bit of travelling, and also I've been doing a bit of consultancy work at Arsenal, which has been great. Getting the app in there and doing some stuff with the under 18s and the 23s, some individual technical stuff. Uh, working with those guys, uh, so that's been really fun. Taking a lot of time. And obviously, it's been great to be, you know, supporting such a top academy at Arsenal with the My Personal Football Coach app and testing out my methodology there. So it's been a real thrill. But obviously, coming back to the podcast, really. Um, so I couldn't stay away too long. And this week, I've got a belter for you. Uh, this week, it's Manisha Taylor, MBE. Manisha is the assistant head of coaching at QPR, obviously working under Chris Ramsey. And just honestly, Manisha is one of the most impressive people I've ever spoken to on this podcast. Just uh, really unbelievably intelligent, eloquent, fantastic. You can see why she's a rising star, rising up the ranks so quickly in academy football. Obviously, uh, background in teaching as a deputy head and obviously worked in the community and the girls game and now in academy football. And just I think she's really lucky as well, landed on her feet working under Chris Ramsey, as you guys probably know, someone I really look up to, someone big influence in my career, one of, if not the GOAT in youth development. And uh, yeah, just really engaging hour, uh, talking about her background, her challenges, obviously being a, a female, a really unrepresented part of the community, obviously in academy football and the incredible work going on in, at QPR under Chris and uh, the quality technical program the individual technical program which must be one of the best in the country so if you're interested in player development if you're interested in individual technical player development this is a must and like i say just uh, really blew me away really really fantastic and really uh, privileged actually decided to come on the show so this is one is not to be missed and uh, i'll see you next time so manisha taylor mbe welcome to the show <laughs> thanks no thanks for having me well, that's just obviously don't get that many MBEs on on the show before. That's pretty impressive, by the way. Just how does that come about? Uh, good question. Um, I well, I woke up, went downstairs, and then saw a letter, and it was in a uh, it was in a like a almost like a brown envelope uh, envelope type, and uh, the only thing you're thinking is, is oh my god that A406, we've got cameras everywhere. Like, <laughs> have I just gone over the 40 or the 50 limit by one yeah, it's or gonna two? Yeah, it's going to be the tax people or the car people, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, you know, opened it up and, yeah, it was, you know, it was very an emotional time, especially when you saw it. Um, could, couldn't believe it. Uh, and then just, you know, had a really long conversation with my mum and my sister about um, almost it seeming as though it was a was a testament particularly to like you know we talk about struggles and everyone goes through things in life and um the, the journey with my brother uh, especially when he became unwell and uh, hopefully it can inspire other people you know to 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 to, to take a career change and um, and to put effort and time in and and, and you never know uh, where that might lead so what was it? What was it? You know, tell me what was. Why did you get the MBE for services was, to the community? 
Yeah, services to football and diversity in sport, but a lot of that was um, around grassroots and community work, particularly uh, with people from different backgrounds, uh, women and girls, and uh, you know my my passion for mental health and well-being, and using uh, sport, particularly football, as a vehicle for helping people with mental health and disability. Wow, impressive. And I was going to talk about this later in the show, but, you know, because almost we've sort of talking about it now. I mean, services to, to diversity in football. I mean, maybe you should be getting another MBE or what's the upgrade now? I mean, there's not that many one females in, involved in academy football and not that many Asians, generally a very unrepresented part of the community. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's pretty amazing in, in itself. Yeah, it's it was definitely a little bit of a shock, if I'm honest. Uh, when I stepped into professional football, uh, when I mean professional, what I mean in the boys in the boys professional game, I didn't quite understand the indifference until I was actually in it. And the thing is, is see, QPR is my first and only experience of a boys academy. So, like before then, I, I spent a number of seasons at, uh, in the women's game. Uh, working at Middlesex Girls Centre of Excellence and then lots and lots of grassroots and community coaching and of course before that I was in education as a deputy head and QPR is such an inclusive diverse club so you do see people from all walks of life and it was only through the conversations with the coaches that I soon realised that wow I actually am perceived as one of only and there were very few like me because, you know, people might say, oh, well, how can you not know? And well, you don't know what you don't know. So I, how do I know when actually I've worked in education for my whole career and grassroots football? And I worked in Brent. I worked in um, Ealing in areas that were predominantly, um, you know, that, that had people from different communities. So unless you step outside of that, you actually don't know. And like I said, at QPR, because I was surrounded by like black coaches, um, you know, people from uh, different cultures and ethnicities, it didn't quite, you know, get in my head that, wow, you actually, when you go and see other clubs, it's not, it's going to be very, very different. Not that I would be treated different, but on perception and on the eye, I'm, people may not assume that I was a coach. So in any case, when I came in, you know, and I was volunteering and it was great because I got to see Paul Furlong, Andrew Impey, Paul Hall. Um, and then, you know, more recently, Micah Hyde. And it's been great also working closely with uh, with Alex Carroll, Academy, you know, Academy Director. And of course, like, you know, a.k.a. the GOAT or the guru, <laughs> like Chris Ramsey, who I who, yeah. who I man marked. And one of the things Chris said to me was and it's still in it and it. Um, it almost planted something in me that's given me more drive, which was, I'm going to take you under my wing and, you know, you're going to be like my project, just like he has lots of project players. Those who know Chris and have worked with him will know what that means. And he goes, but you have to listen to me and you have to listen because people were saying to him, how on earth can you get her in? What does she know about football? She's not played the game as a pro. She lacks uh, pro football experience. You're taking a risk. And he was very much about, uh, and, and and similar to the experiences that he tells me that he had when um, 
when he came in and Les, you know, Les gave him the job at QPR, which was around the fact that I'm not getting her in because she's Asian or because she's she's a woman. I'm getting her in because actually uh, she's going to be the best person for the job, not necessarily the best coach at the time, but somebody who I can mould and develop and she has the qualifications to work in an academy. So why not? And it was only then when I actually started to work there that through the through time did Chris realise what I could actually bring in terms of previous experiences. Absolutely. And I mean, yeah, because I was, I was going to talk about that later on. I didn't want to, whether you get sick and tired of talking about that, whether, you know, you want to talk about the football, but I mean, you know, I suppose it's the, you know, the reality, isn't it? I mean, you know, as you, you know, unrepresented uh, in football generally. And obviously, you're yeah, talking about the GOAT, Chris, and also, you know, I remember last time we bumped into each other, uh, Hale End, I think, we watched the 10s play each other, QPR and Arsenal, one of the best academy games I've ever seen, by the way, in terms yeah. of intent and style and quality of play. Um, I said to you, what does it feel like, you know? I'm I'm like a fanboy to Chris still, and I've known him for like 20 years. And he said to me, "You're you're still a fanboy now after you know, and you work with him every fangirl rather than you work with him every day." <laughs> so I mean, yeah. that is what it was. What is it like, you know, working obviously taken under wing by one of the best, if not the best, player developers in the country or not the world? It, it it's been an unbelievable experience. Like I man mark Chris the moment I stepped into the club in 2016, um, in and around April, and. You know, th- th- he is this wealth of knowledge. Like he's got so much experience, and and not just in football, but in in life and in other experiences. And I think there was real synergy because he was also a primary school teacher. So there was, you know, this there was an initial connection in terms of conversations around pedagogy, child development, and and theories. And and then for me, it was about okay, well, how does that then transcend and link to football? And then you know, as time went on, I was just learning more and more around um, specific individual development. And it like for me, I felt like in a bizarre type of way that, wow, I've actually only just started to coach because when you've worked with him and you'll know this, because of the level of detail that he has, you, you almost feel, my gosh, I actually know nothing at all. And, you know, for, for, for a lot of the time, and, in, and even now, I kind of felt, okay, I just need to keep my mouth shut. And if I'm honest, he did say to me, right, if you're going to work with me, and he's very firm, he's firm, but also very fair. Um, I just need you to listen. And, and I need you to listen because I knew that he was so invested in my, in my development, just like he is with players. And he's very passionate. He's very, you know, I, I want to do the best thing and I want to do the right thing. So like the, the learning that I've received and the mentor and the tuition has, has you know, inev- inevitably helped me to where I am now. I don't think I would be in the position and in the job that I'm in now had it not been for that learning, that, that mentoring that I've received from him. Absolutely. And so tell us a bit, how did it come about then? I mean, you mentioned you're a school teacher, worked in the girls game. How did you get, how did you get the break into QPR, into the boys academy? So by chance, you know, like we, we, we talk about opportunity and with opportunity, you also actually need an element of luck. 
So I met Chris originally in 2014, where we were on a pa- um, we were on a panel together, also with with Chris Powell, and it was a diversity event at St George's Park. But he, he wasn't a QPR then, and I didn't have my B license in 2014 either. So we had a conversation, and it wasn't in my in my head that well I actually you know, had this ambition to go into the boys' professional game. It was just a conversation around coaching and next steps and, you know, j- j- just seeking general advice. And one of the things he said to me, and he, and he still has that mantra now, which is get time on the grass, like hone in on your trade. It's not a race because uh, you get found out. Like it's really important to make sure that you're confident and comfortable in what you're, what you're delivering. So, I, you know, that was that. And I went away and... Like I was still at Middlesex and, you know, I was doing lots and lots of other little bits like at FC Leytonstone, a little bit of, you know, Indian Chimkana and so on. And then we met again in 2016 in April at Troy Townsend's Kick It Out event because we were both mentoring. So he said, oh, well, what are you up to now? And I said, well, actually, um, I've got my UA for B because uh, he did ask me that straight up. Have you got your B license? I went, yeah, I've got that. Um, I've got my youth module free and um, I'm looking at opportunities because Middlesex were folding and it was in the time where there was a restructure in the female game. So the Centre of Excellences were uh, being renamed as regional talent clubs or RTCs and Middlesex were, were not going to become an RTC. So I did say to him, look, I am actively looking for RTC jobs. Um, you know, I had to look at MK Dons and, and was seeking other roles to keep myself in the women's game. And he said to me, look, I've got no jobs at QPR, but if you want to come in and volunteer, you can come and volunteer. So I thought, wow, like I'd never be getting an opportunity to volunteer in a, in a professional football club. Um, so I did that. And what he didn't know at the time was I was really good friends with Andrew Impey, who's our uh, now our under under 23s coach. And the reason I didn't want to mention anything to Chris to begin with was because I didn't want to be judged on the fact that he knew someone else. But look, I'm not naive and I also recognise that football, a bit like other sports and industries, is very much about who you know and it being a small circle. So I did then say, ah, well, look, if you wanted any references or you needed to speak to anybody, I'm really good friends with Andrew Impey. He's known me me for a number of years. And I'm also... um, have also been under the guidance of Alex Welsh since I started my level one and my level two in uh, 2009-2010. So as soon as I said that, he went, no, no, you know, no, that's fine. But I know that he did have a word with Andrew. I know that he had a word with him. Um, and they had a conversation and him said, no, look, you know, she'll, she'll come in and she'll learn and, and she'll be cool. So that was pretty much that. And then, then you know, went in, but I'd, I'd make sure I was there at 10 in the morning because what I needed to do was, look, I fully understood uh, and was honest about where I am. And I think almost having that self-awareness and that honesty is is the first step because it's an unfamiliar environment. I can't have an ego. Don't really know the philosophy. I don't know what Chris wants uh, as a technical director, as a head of coaching. So my job was to go in there and observe and learn and listen. And that is pretty much what I did. I followed suit, but what I needed to do was have time to do that. 
So I made sure that I was able to earn X amount because that was a time where I took my career change. So I did supply teaching. I did deliveries with show races and the red card and one-to-one -one tuition. So I knew how much money I needed to earn to allow me to actually go into the club and volunteer. Because when you're there at 10, you know, watching the under 18s, then I'd go into the gym um, with, you know, Ross Bennett and, and have a look at the, 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 the performance side of things and then stay back in the evening to watch a schoolboy training in the evening. And for me, one of the most important things was gaining an understanding of one, the philosophy, uh, what does Chris actually want? What does it mean to be a QPR player and what does that look like? And then the other aspect was also around how does an academy work? So it wasn't just about the coaching, it was also about, right, I need to think of this as a school because that's what Chris told me because it was all coming very confusing. And Chris just said to me, look, You've been a deputy head, you've trained as a head teacher. So think of this as a big school. And that made more sense to me. So what I really liked about what he was doing was he makes things very relatable. So it helps me understand um, what it is that he wants. Because he's very good at that, just like with developing players, like very good at chunking learning and then looking at, right, where are people at in their development? And that's got to be the starting point. And just like he talks about the zone of proximal development with players um, in player development, I saw that as no different with people development. So he very much looked at where is she at? What does she know now? And I'm going to work from that. And then four months later, the next thing I knew, I was assisting with the under nines. And then it pretty much went from there. And I think actually working with the youngest age groups uh, was the best thing that could have happened because it really gave me a real understanding of the QPR philosophy in terms of, you know, our, our development pyramid and, and how it works. Um, and so just that, just 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 before we go in, because we'll get into all the, uh, the juicy details there, because that's what we want to know. Everyone wants to know. But so just tell us. So you, so you, you went in there for about four months. You observed you got an under nines gig, assistant gig. And then what? just tell us the other progressions up to the academy to where you're now just quickly, briefly. So then continued with the, the under nines as head coach the following season and then was um, had the opportunity to apply for ECAS, which uh, which was um, a scheme organised by the Premier League, particularly for those from different ethnic backgrounds and women. And the club asked me if I'd be willing to for, for them to apply for ECAS on my behalf, because ultimately if I got on with the funding, it allowed me to become full time. So we did that. Uh, I was successful. And in 2018, I became full time as foundation phase lead. And that that was the point of actually being able to um, to, to transfer the learning and the skills that I had developed when I was in senior management in schools. And then what happened was there was two seasons later, uh, a change in staff and a change in structure with the development of our B team. So in June last year, uh, there was an opportunity that came up uh, for internal applicants to apply for an assistant head of coaching role, predominantly working with the under nines to the under 16. So I, you know, so I applied uh, and then and, and then and, and was successful, which is uh, where the job sees me now. 
Amazing! Congratulations. So I mean, this, this, I, I know because of it, a few of those 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 uh, roles, assistant had a, had had a coaching roles are now uh, um, propping up. But we just get into that later. Let's come back, wind it back a bit into your first experiences there in academy football. I still remember one of my watching my first sessions at, at Tottenham and in the dome there. One of my first coaching sessions, I was just wow, like I was a bright eyed. You know, this is amazing. What was your what was your first initial thoughts as you you were there? You know, you were lucky to see the whole day's training there from the 18s all the way to the foundation phase what were your initial thoughts there when you saw that the um the caliber of the staff you know that that you've got a wealth of knowledge you've got a, a there was a variety of experiences of people who had played the game as pro um but also those who perhaps didn't play the game as pro but came from another background and i thought that there was a really good mix in terms of being able to complement skills um the, the the culture and the ethos you could see that there was um, consistency, especially, you know, I had the opportunity to go from the morning right the way and there was consistency in how people worked and, and that was great and, and you know, p- people were welcoming and it was such a, there was a buzz and it was a great environment to be in. Did you, you know, did you think did you I, did you think at the time? Sorry to interrupt. Nish, did you think at the time? Yeah, I want to work in this place. Were you there? Just oh, this is a great experience. I'm going to try and pick up some hints and tips to take back into women's football. Or were you thinking actually, you know, this is the environment I want to work in now. I want to come into academy football. I think later in the voluntary work, so probably a month in, I started to think this is this is a place where I'd really like to work. And look, selfishly, if I'm honest, it was it was more so because of Chris and the senior coaches um, and I'd probably still say that that today that I'm I'm not that naive to get away from the fact that it's still a very tough environment so initially there was an assumption around who I am where I've come from uh, what I do uh, I'm quite petite so I'm four foot nine People assume that, you know, and look, you don't blame anybody because I maybe would have done the same that, you know, you're a student, um, but definitely not somebody who uh, has a UEFA B is actually um, a lot older than what people think and has had a very good career in another profession. So it did take a lot of time um, to... To, to, to keep that resilience and to keep that perseverance because it is it's tough it is tough so you've got the element of the fact that I came into an environment that was very inclusive okay very culturally diverse however that doesn't mean to say that there were still not elements of that imposter syndrome and, and feeling as though I'm not sure that I actually belong and not necessarily in terms of being South Asian or Indian, but more so being a woman, because I was coming in there with you've got not played the game as a pro, small in stature and perceptions, a female and a South Asian female. So you're you're having to you're having to go in with confidence when actually you're not very confident. So initially, my answer was would have to be to you. No, because I lacked a lot of self-confidence and I wasn't sure that I I belonged in, in that environment. I, I remember having those same feelings, obviously, you know, my circumstances are a lot different to yours. But even when I went into the first, you know, those academy roles, I wasn't an ex-pro and I was surrounded by those big personalities. I had that similar sort of imposter syndrome. So how then do you, how do you conquer that? And now, obviously, you know, 
Uh, you're you know, that, that top role on your own merit. You know, top, you know, you've coached in that top quality academy. How do you? Because many people will be in the same position, I imagine, thinking of that those anxieties. How did you conquer those? So the first thing is around um, being comfortable with what you don't know. So I knew that there's a lot that I, within the professional environment, that I need to learn and I need to get better at. And I was comfortable in that because I was always honest about, I don't know this. But what I also realized was what I might have to do is stick my chest out a little bit in terms of my background and what I can offer and what I do know, which I didn't do before because, you know, you you just, well, you just don't really. And I think it was, through conversations with the senior staff. So people that I really leaned on were Paul Hall, Paul Furlong and um, and Andrew Impey. Um, Cause Micah Hyde uh, came in a little bit later. So initially it was, it was those coaches. And I felt that there was a real connect. I could talk to them about anything. Obviously me and Imps were really good friends. So I would be on the phone to him, you know, when um, I was a little bit upset or I, 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 I've been unsure. And then I'm lucky that I had Chris, who was also my boss and in charge. And that made ultimately the biggest difference because I was able to, 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 to call him. I was able to ask him questions. And, you know, he was very honest about um, giving me advice. And people who know him will know that you have to be a particular type of person to work as closely as I do with Chris Ramsey. And you have to really understand how his brain works because ultimately that is my job. My job is to understand how his brain works and to execute what it is that he wants. And when you're in this unfamiliar environment, unless you've got um, close connections, unless you've got guidance and mentoring in the immediate environment, it's very, very difficult. The other aspect was around, it's easy to use the word resilience, but but you have to be. Like, you in this environment, particularly as a novice, you have to be very thick-skinned. Like, you can't get, well, I say you can't, I mean, you should have, you should be able to, but, you know, if you don't have thick skin, you're gonna end up highly emotional um, and, and that high emotion and that upset can then cloud judgment and affect um, what it is you want to achieve. So the two big things for me were around remaining resilient and bold and having um, being honest about myself and comfortable with what I don't know and leaning on the senior staff and Chris in, Chris in particular. Because if I didn't have that support network, I wouldn't have been able to sustain myself within within the, the the game because it's it's tough. You're dealing with ego. You're like you know you're you're line managing men. You're 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 the only woman in in that in that whole fraternity in terms of the coaching department, and people will look at you sideways. People will look at you as if, well, I'm not. You you've asked me to go and do that. I'm not going to do that. So what, it's. So what do you do about that? How do you how do you how do you confront that? So. The, this is where the mentoring has been key for me. So I, I'm like I'm fortunate that I've I've got Chris right, and I've said that to many a people. I've said that to many women who I've spoken to through the ECAS as well. 
because as much as we're saying that there's an inclusive environment there's an inclusive environment to the point to a point however um the culture of football is still an issue and how uh, women or those from different communities are perceived in senior positions so i've had uh, decisions contested numerous times you know you've had i've had um you know blowouts you know I, i've got upset and emotional and i've cried uh many a times at the club and the people I've gone to lean on are the senior coaches like Micah, Micah Hyde, Andrew and Paul Hall and, and, and Furs have stood up and, and blatantly said you cannot speak to her like that. So I feel confident because I know that I've got senior coaches who have been there and actually stood up and, and, and confronted people who have been dismissive. But what I also have is a boss in Chris Ramsey and a mentor who has done exactly the same and he has called it out. He has called out um, blatant or indirect, you know, either direct or indirect sexism. He has called out unfairness, but equally he has also said to me, right, let's have a sit down and let's have a look at other strategies. I, I appreciate you might get upset and emotional, but this is what I now need you to do. So it's also worked both ways in the respect of, uh, not me necessarily, but people around me confronting and calling it out. But on the flip side, it's also been, um, you know, like I, I remember there was a recent time where I sat with imps and I just cried. Okay, we were in a room and I just cried and then you know, we had a chat and then he called me when um, after after training in the, in, in the evening and we had another chat and it was about, right, this is now what you, I need you to try this. This is what you're now going to need to do. You can't keep doing this. And people might say, you know, listening in, oh, well, what do you mean you can't do this and that shouldn't be allowed and this, that, the other. I'm only saying this from a place of my own experience and being in it now for six seasons. It's not a walk in the park, okay? And the culture's not going to change overnight. I'm not saying we accept the culture. What I'm saying is, is that we have to find ways of maneuvering ourselves in the dynamics to one, um, be able to sustain yourself in the game because it is not changing overnight and also learn what battles to fight. And that was something that I didn't know. I wasn't doing that very well at all. And even now I'd say I'm better at it, but I'm not good at it. I'd say I'm, I'm probably adequate. And that's where leaning on the senior coaches and Chris has really come into play. Because has, had it not been for them, I, if I'm honest, I, I think I'd find it, I, I would still, I'd struggle. I'd struggle in the environment. Wow, interesting. So then tell us about the environment. Let's get, let's get back to the football bit the, uh, the, 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 with the boys. Uh, so, you, you're, so, you, so you get the, the head nines gig. Tell us about that. I mean, what was that like? Uh, I, remember, I remember my first you know, head roll you know, at Tottenham. Fantastic. The challenges. What were the, what were the main challenges for you in terms of delivering the programme and game day and that sort of thing? And what, your, what are the main experiences and you remember about those times? So I, I vividly remember my first under nines group because um, it, I've almost seen like a little bit of a cycle now because now they're under 14s and many of boys are now still in that group. So it's great because I, I get to now work across uh, across the age groups. But 
they have high enthusiasm, a lot of energy, you know, it, you have to have a way about you to be, um, to be adaptable, to, to, to keep them engaged. And the kids are naive. So it wasn't a case where I felt there was personally a challenge when you're with the boys. The challenges were actually secondary because it was around um, perceptions. And this is, I'm generalizing, perceptions of parents, because for them, it was also a new thing, like, you know, a female coach in an academy. Uh, and there was perceptions when you'd go to opposition teams, because look, you'd always be assumed the physio or the medic or somebody who's definitely not going to be the coach. And I was fortunate because I had, I remember working with Tom Charles um, when I first came in and he'd been there, you know, many years and, um, and, and it was great being able to learn, you know, from somebody who, who, you know, who had been at the club a lot longer than I had. And it took time to actually learn the philosophy because anyone who knows of the QPR way or knows Chris's philosophy will know it's it may look complicated but it's actually very simple so there's lots of uh um you know the there's there's lots of things that that there's lots of ways sorry in which chris um will will want us to to work so it's there's a rigid program but it's not rigid so there's creativity within the program. So we work on a strength-based capability program. So for me, ultimately, the first thing to do was to actually learn about what does that mean and what does that look like? So then I had to get better equipped with understanding individuals. Uh, what are the individual strengths within my group? What is it that we know we need to work on? So we'll only work on weaknesses if it's to compromise, if it's to the detriment of, of, of the strength. But the younger the players are, the more rounded and two-sided we want them to become. Now, the older the players become, and depending on um, at what stage the players come into our learning continu continuum, you you're gonna you're gonna adapt and differentiate your approach. So I had to learn. I had to learn that. I then had to get better equipped with. Right, Chris talks about the zone of proximal development. Now, of course, I had some level of understanding because I did psychology A level, and I. Um, and I did a BA in education and I specialised in early childhood education. However, when you're linking it to the context of football, you actually have to learn the nuances of Chris's philosophy. So I then had to go back to, right, he's got a development pyramid. What is this development pyramid? What does it look like? And where does it sit within the age phase that I'm working with? So we go talk about extreme technique. Extreme technique was predominantly what we were working on okay so that is about the mechanical movements um and then breaking it down to you know like disguise um and, and timing execution and awareness and when um you know when we deliver our program we've kind of, we it's very set so you've got a set of core and advanced core skills which could be hooks um v work lots of work around mobility so whether that's to do with ankle mobility and maneuverability um hip rotation um you know that then you're looking at like your torso your arms and how how your you know your limbs and your body moves in relation to being able to execute the technique and then you've got the practices and we've got set practices so if i take phone box as an example phone box is very much about the individual being able to dominate 1v1 because one of the things um, 
we call it the seven things, uh, which is uh, around uh, our playing philosophy is about number one, can the individual retain the ball? And we're looking at retaining the ball um, in various ways. And then you've got to think, okay, well, how does that link to the under nine, under tens? This is now about retaining the ball as an individual, being expressive, being fearless, being able to manipulate the ball and being comfortable, having good ball feel. So all of these things, I didn't just know coming in because I was only coaching in the way that I had seen before. The way in which Chris wanted us to coach and this real knowledge around individual development was very new to me and there's lots and lots of nuances within it so it's it took a long time to become equipped with his way for me then to feel confident in actually going right i can look at this player and say right his strength is this we need to work on this but we're going to do this practice to enhance his strength it took a long time. If I'm honest, I think in the, in, the, in my second season with the nines, I was just left. I was uh, on my own because of staff, uh, because of change in staffing, and that was probably the best thing that happened because you then had to, you know, you were on you were on it on your own, and you had people to lean on, but not directly with you all the time. And I think that probably towards the end of the second season, I I I I've came away feeling a lot more equipped with what the philosophy looked like. Um, with, with, with the age groups that I was working with. So let's just, for people who don't know, Phonebox is one of Chris's specials. There's like four little gates, small space, three players. You've got one player in the middle, you've got to get out one of the gates. So it's great for tight space movability. A classic, one of Chris's classics. But so tell us about what, what would a typical session look for look like in the nines then? So you talked to, you know, what would, that, what would that session look like? So we, you know, We'll start off typically with juggling, um, you know, like keeping the ball up uh, on your feet, both feet, different foot surfaces. And then you're looking at your thigh. So we might go big surface, small surface. Uh, and then that's almost like an, an arrival. And then we go into core and advanced core skills. So a ball each. And we've kind of got set, set core and advanced core skills. So that would be inside hooks, outside hooks, um, inside, outside, inside, uh, V work. Uh, then we're looking at Zidane work and, and work with the Cruyff, uh, but, but particularly looking at using the sole of your foot. Now, people might, you know, be listening and going, oh, yeah, but, you know, we can all we, we all just do hooks and we, you know, we all do V work and so on. And this isn't it's not new. It's not like this is rocket science. But the nuances of the way in which Chris wants us to to teach it to the kids is what was new to me, because when I was doing the hook, what he said to me was, no, you're chopping the ball. You're not hooking the ball. I thought I was just doing a hook. Now, on the, on, you know, on the outside, someone will go, well, what, what's the difference? And these are the details that we're talking about. And that's why the mechanics with the, eight, with the under nines was so important. Because if they didn't get the mechanical work right, then it was going to affect them um, in, in terms of their execution of the particular task as, as they went up in the age groups. So it would be things like um, being able to, to, to open out your hip, point your toe down. So actually when you're hooking the ball, it's just a glide and you're hitting it with the front part of your foot. And then that linked into the, you know, around ankle, ankle mobility, being able to maneuver, um, you know, maneuver and turn. Then we'd start going into, okay, now let's look at um, the, 
you know, when, when you do hook the ball, we want to be able to take four steps in between because that's now teaching them about distance and teaching them about, you know, the, the weight. So if it's over hit, then, then what's going to happen? And if it's under hit, what's going to happen? Um, and then, uh, then we talk about, you know, the dropping of the shoulder and the use of the arms and the disguise and then, you know, working off opposite sides. No different to like when we're looking at V work, we'd then go into, right, they would do it where it's just quick, um, not really opening out their hips. Um, and then, we, you know, we talk about, OK, well, actually, no, it's about taking two steps in between. Why? Because we want you to actually work on being able to open out your hips. Right. What's the reason for that? It's because we actually integrate sports science within within the and the physical outcomes uh, within the technical outcomes so that we're not saying right in an um, in an isolated practice, you're going to do opening out the gate or closing the gate. We don't do that. We're saying, right, let's incorporate those physical outcomes into the technical work. So there were those nuances um, when we're actually delivering those individual bits. And then you'd go into the whole 75s, which is our name for um, at the passing practice. So Chris has broken down all the passes into numbers. And it's, and it's the number of passes that the players um, will make uh, on, you know, during a game. So as an example, the 75s, so 75 passes is the, in, it's really pass over short distance inside of your foot. You, you might be left or right or, or alternate. And what he's saying is, is I want the boys to practice that pass the most because that is the pass they are going to make in the game the most. And then we, you know, we've got 50s, which is, um, which teaches them about um, cloaking, sitting in and being able to play front foot. So stabbing it with the outside of the foot. Uh, and then, so that would be like 25 on one foot, 25 on the other, and then so on. So then, you know, you carry on, you kind of go, we've got front foot passes with the 40s. And then you're, you're doing passes where you're taking it across your chest and then playing it with the front foot. You then got a dead touch, which is like a 20s. So we go 10 on one side, 10 on the other, where you're playing now over medium distance. So we're talking about now further weight of pass, punching it in. But when you receive it, it's, can you receive it as a dead touch? So it's in your personal space. Um, and then we look at a tens, which is a reverse pass. So you kind of go five on one, five on the other. So it, the boys, we then differentiate that. So we'll look at, right, if you're in the under nines, you're going to practice the whole 75s, but we might go, right, you're going to go five on each side or eight on each side. And the idea isn't that we want them to be excellent passers at an under nine. The idea is, is that it's about rehearsing and practice and repeating some of these things. And then going back to a strength-based, capability-based program. Because ultimately, as much as we're saying at under nines, we want the players to play with flair. We want them to be creative. We want them to be able to dominate as an individual 1v1. We may also have players in the group who have a particular strength around being able to pass the ball. So we have a responsibility to make sure we cater for that strength and enhance that as well as making them rounded. Then you actually go into the stock practices. You can't just deliver what you like. You get given the practices. And then what you have to be able to do is to bring it to life and use your own creativity, your own personality in uh, delivering that practice. What you also have to be able to do is to look at the individuals within your group and deliver the practice with those individuals in mind. So as an example, in phone box, like you use the phone, so 
phone box trilogy starts off with a 1v1 so you've got two gates now people will go well we do that you know we do 1v1s all the time and, and again it's not rocket science right everyone that do, does these types of practices but when we're talking about um how we might manipulate it based on the individuals and the capabilities that we have what we'll do is say to the boys right if you're if you've got the ball this is what we this is your emphasis okay we want you to be able to try and score through the gate by dribbling um as quick as possible but what we want you to really emphasize on is being able to use disguise to move the defender and shift the defenders to one side to then be able to come off um you know on the opposite side and try and get through the opposite gate we also want you to use a variation of core and advanced core skills um and then you might be able to include your own now with the with the defender we're looking at defensive foot patterns thinking about the distance between their feet um taking small steps and not cross-legged because you're working over and being able to get across short distance uh, and then you're talking about you know given the the attack of the eye uh, there might be a level of disguise um are you able to you know almost off balance the, the attacker and stuff like that now you're not going to say all these things in one hit to the nines. You're going to drip it in. But the expectation for Chris is as a coach, if I have that in my locker, then what I'm able to do is to effectively teach it, um, like, you know, when the, accordingly, like teach it accordingly based on what individuals need. So sometimes I've gone, right, I in my head, right, I know this player needs to work on defensive foot patterns a little bit more than the other. So I'm going to say to him, I want you to have two more goes at doing this, then I want you to have that. Or vice versa, right? Sometimes it's been, right, this this player has a particular strength of being able to defend 1v1, right? Let him do that a little bit more. And then, then I might go, right, now let me look at um, the, the characteristics and makeup of the group. And then you look at matching, right? He's, he's finding 1v1 defending easy. Who am I going to match him up with as an attacker? To, to, to also challenge him. Um, so, do you know, in terms of the, the delivery, although you've got phone box trilogy, all those things that I've just spoken about come into the, the delivery of that practice. And then there might be another particular practice and then it would be literally a game, but we do lots of chaos games. So lots of 1v1s, 2v2s, 3v3s. Um, we do the four goal game where it's multi-directional um, with the, the younger the players are, the, the more chaos uh, there is. And that would, that would literally be your session, not just on a Monday, there would also be your session on a Wednesday and a Saturday. So you don't go, well, I've just turned up and I feel like doing phone box on Monday and then now I'm just going to change it to rack or rest on Wednesday. It's very much continue and repeat and we go over a two-week cycle. So the, the whole point of that is making sure that if we're going to introduce new learning we allow the players to become familiar then you've also got to factor in that you may have trialists who are new to the environment and perhaps might be new to the philosophy if they haven't come in through the development program then then we repeat to allow them to to, to, to scaffold so to scaffold the learning to allow them to understand uh, uh, some of the nuances and then you're looking at being able to cement learning, which is why you might go over two weeks. So that when you come back to it again, you're not starting from, I'm unfamiliar. You then start with, right, from my assessments in our coaching journal, where are the players at? That is now going to be my starting point.
So there's lots in there around uh, understanding development and then linking that to the football. Wow. It's just like listening to Chris, isn't it? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> uh, but so tell us then about what's the, what's, the, um, what's the session look like in the 14s and tell us about that progression and you've got the, obviously a lot of technical work, a lot of that quality individual stuff. Then what has that progressed when you go into the YDP? So actually, surprisingly, the structure of the session stays very similar. So um, I was with the 14s last week and I was only with the 13s last night. So give you an example. So we did... Um, Started off with juggling, no different. So that's almost like a staple. Then we went into current advanced core skills. That's a staple. So then that, what, so, then the, so, that so that would be like combination work, different skills and different combinations, that sort of thing? Well, no, it's actually the set hooks, inside right. hooks, outside. Yeah, it's those set current advanced core skills. So how do they do but, that though? I mean, so for example, they're just pressing a hook and then hook again. And how many times do they do yeah. that? And then they do then work some Zidans. And so how many, how many of each skill are they doing? So we go six on each side right, okay. in terms of load. So we'll go six on each side. Now, the, what we might do with the with the older ones is, and I'll bring this in. So when we then, um, we might do uh, like paired work is we then might go, right, now you're going to do this as Dan, but under pressure. It might be you're going to inset and then you're going to, um, you know, you're going to then have a, a player lock on. Um, a man on back, do lots more man on back work. Not saying we don't do that with the nines, but what we would do is differentiate it. So they still, in the in the YDP, it's not a case of where people might assume or think, especially those who are unfamiliar with how, well, Chris works, oh, it's got to be very different. No, it's not. He still, there's a real benefit in unopposed, isolated practices, just as there's a benefit with having interference and distraction. So we still go unopposed. And then what we do is we then will add the interference around, um, you know, doing it in pairs, working under pressure. And it would be like maybe pa a passive defender being able to now really work on the, the element of, right, safe, keeping the ball safe side. You're going to protect it. So, we're, you know, those nuances where necessarily we're not, we may not always talk to with, with the under nines but those nuances you then so it's more the technical detail that that we would then um go into with with with, with the older players and then they do the same thing they go into their 75s you know the whole 75s and then um what we might do is uh do it where you kind of go right we're now going to do like a setting type practice in a three you might then go diamond passing in a four there's a lot more passing based practices with the older players than there are with the younger ones. So we, um, we, we, we do a lot of work around patterns, um, particularly around our movement. So movement is a real big part of uh, the next part of the philosophy. So we go movement experimentation, then it goes to movement refinement. So one of the biggest things for Chris is, can we dominate in midfield? We want to develop players with midfield attributes. That is what we want to be able to do. And then what we will do is look at individual characteristics. Because if you can attack 1v1, you can defend 1v1, you can pretty much play anywhere on the pitch. And then it's going to be defined by, right, let's have a look at you now as a player. Do you have a particular strength? What about like, you know, in terms of physical maturation? So in terms of a pass passing practice, we do something called sixes and sevens, uh, which is um, like a movement game, unopposed. So you, let's say you've got seven players, 
you might have um, you'd have them in a shape so you might have a two and then three in midfield um, and then another two but the idea is about them being able to to, to maintain shape and keep the shape and and to and to and to understand rotations and then the the other part would be to understand if if I now move we have to maintain balance so are we aware are we aware of where the space is the nearest man now needs to fill in so that also links into our seven things within the playing philosophy which is around understanding my role as an individual yeah so we um it within that practice with the two the three and a, and a two that's just an example of a shape okay but we might go with a three because we, we we're looking at can do they understand being able to connect and rotate as a midfield three and the the practice is very much around uh individual movement and connecting uh, and how their movement connects with the with another player so if for example i'm i'm in midfield and i move and now i end up in the in the back line with that two it's do the players understand now there's a gap what needs to happen how does it affect things within the shape so we're talking about individual roles and responsibility being able to play in a 30 to 60 second window in somebody else's job uh, understanding that if they leave a gap that gap needs to be filled so we're looking at an element of balance <clears throat> and then you're looking at do they do they recognize that if I'm the nearest player it is my responsibility to go and fill in so these these nuances are within that practice and then you're looking at the passing element so <clears throat> can they pass over short distance medium distance and then we might go we might go can you pass over or into um, then you look at the whole 75s within that passing practice now you only really move the players on if they're ready to be moved on. So in terms of that sixes and sevens, what we found is, is generally what coaches might do is, well, that's unopposed and that's too easy. And then you're just moving on. Now, the, the consequence to moving on and adding in opposition is that something's going to go. So you've got to look at what's the trade-off. So yesterday with the 13s, uh, the coach and I spoke and it was very much around, okay, the players are showing that they understand rotating with a pair at an okay level. They're also understanding about different spins. So whether that's a fabric gas um, and a big movement where you're, um, you know, scanning, dropping back and you're opening out your hips and your shoulders or whether that's a head around where you're, 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 you know, you're dropping in and then you're actually uh, spinning and getting, getting your head round. So you're opening your shoulders and your hips. Whether it's to do with spins or rotations, um, they can do that, but can they now do that with a little bit of interference? So what we then did was get another group of seven and went, right, you guys now are going to be passive defenders. They weren't allowed to tackle. And what that now did was affect their decision-making. Because now the passes were loose. Uh, they were not going to the player. Um, although we had passive defenders, we did say to the passive defenders, make it realistic, stay on your man. We're going to go for man for man in this practice. If the attacker moves, you move with your man. And it really got those under 13s to think about decision making. 
where am I going to play the ball? Uh, so if I'm the, well, first of all, the connection between the passer and the receiver. So if I'm the passer, what, what decision am I going to make and what's going to affect my decision? What's the relationship like between the passer and the person who's going to receive the ball? Are they still thinking as an individual, as they would do in the younger groups, or are they really now thinking about how they connect with more players on the pitch because it is their first introduction to 11 v 11 when we go into under 13s? So we actually didn't move on. So we kept it at that and then moved on only to interception. And the only reason we did that was because there was a particular strength of an individual who is very good at being able to scan, check, read the play, who was already starting to creep, already starting to look at the opposite, you know, the, the passer's uh, body shape as a trigger, maybe, to be able to intercept the ball. So that's when we said, all right, we'll tell you, we'll tell you what now. Still, The only way you can regain possession is through interception and then this there's this whole piece of work we didn't do it yesterday around actually interception because what chris says to me is he goes you know what it's clever players can intercept clever players will not get themselves into physical battles so one of our things when we break up um tackling we're not just saying right go and tackle go and tackle and win the ball back we're saying right what types of tackles we're looking at we're looking at blocking we're looking at block and roll then you're looking at intercepting. Then you might look at slide tackling. So we just broke that. So I, you know, when I spoke to the other coach, I went, right, let's just look at intercepting because of the fact that we've got an identified strength of a player. Um, and then left it at that and then moved on to another passing practice, which was um, called Between Lines. And that is around, uh, um, if you're looking at the defensive emphasis, it's been able to understand how to work within a unit. So sliding, screening, getting across, communication distances. And then you're looking at the attacking emphasis of trying to move and pass to create gaps in between to play across. So you might have three attackers, three defenders in the middle and three attackers. So they are locked in zones. Um, uh, but, it, you know, you can either, you can, with the yin and the yang, you can either go, I'm going to em emphasize on the defenders or I'm going to emphasize on the on the attackers. Now, the reason we probably would not do that with the younger players is because if they can't control the ball and they can't pass the ball, how are you going to get them to do a practice like that with lots of chaos interference when actually you need to get them to have better ball field to begin with? Uh, okay, so and and I just like so. What would you say, a playing devil's advocate here? To what you know, I'm, I can just in my mind picture some of the games-based teachers, game-based coaches here having coronaries uh, as we speak, or in hot sweats, thinking, "But where's the game? They're not in a game." Or where's what's this unopposed stuff? What, what would you, what would you, how would you confront those the, the many, the big coaching fraternity that come from that point of view? So. There's real value. There's real value in games. There's real value in interference and distraction. It, it's actually just about how you perceive it as a coach. So in in that sixes and sevens practice that I spoke about, it you've got to look at what the trade-off is. So our trade-off was we need to first work on the mechanics of the movement without any distraction. But actually, the distraction was the fact that they had to really think about passing accuracy, passing execution and that passing detail. So as well as the movement, we're also talking about, right, we don't just always want you to find feet. Can you now try and the, find the player in the movement? Can you 
Can you play the pass into space? Can you find the pass so, so that it allows the player to take it off the front foot so that they can then go and drive an attack? Like, all these things, you know, as kids, we have to understand that kids are not adults, right? Their brains and, and are still developing. So sometimes what children need is learning to be chunked and they need it in stages. So when I'm not saying um, at all that there's no value in games, what I'm saying is, is that our question what the trade-off is. So if we went straight into a game, we would recognize that our trade-off is, is that they may lose some of the movement and the passing because now what they're thinking about in their head is, is we've got opposition, we're under pressure. So what you might go is we, we would flip in between. So we did have, we did bring in those defenders, but what we did do was say confidently, we're going to say they can't tackle because we still need to nail the movement and the passing. What we wanted to test was where are they at in their ZPD? Their movement's not bad. Their passing's okay. Let's, let's, let's add a little bit of distraction and see what happens. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because obviously you're, background teaching I'm a background in teaching as well primary school and Chris obviously we talked about this a lot we obviously identify that with the chunking and breaking it down and I remember that really vividly Chris being a big proponent of that but it's interesting why that you know it's, it's almost the antithesis of what you know the, the game based coaches want because they want the chaos all the time they want the players struggling and challenging higher up but it's interesting isn't it many of the teaching side will often come back to you know, breaking it down and, and doing it. So do, you, do you think that's been an important part of your career, your teaching background? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, Chris has said it to me and, and has been honest about the fact that, you know, your 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 previous experience, experiences have helped you to, to where you are now in, in this job. And, and I think as a coach, um, you can have all this knowledge, but being able to teach and disseminate the information so that a child or a player understands are two completely different things. So it, you have to be in a position where you can teach because ultimately you are a teacher. So you, it's, it's, are, we, are we able as coaches with all this knowledge that we have or, you know, like information now on sessions is so readily available and accessible that you, you pick, oh, I like this, not sure about that, but I'm going to take this. It's how do you then... Um, teach and break that down so that children understand so when we come to games we're not saying that there's no value in chaos all the time but i will say if i'm going to go back to teaching is would you say to an eight-year-old i want you on the first session i want you to go and write um a, a horror story when they've had no experience and learning and knowledge around structure of how to write a story adjectives synonyms punctuation um you know and, and would you do that no you wouldn't you wouldn't just say here's the end thing so why do we do that in football like that you know chris and i've had conversations that, that i don't understand why do we just go i'm just going to go to page six because that's what i want to do but we've not given the the players the experiences before. Now, what we yeah, we know you, you know what I you know what I think. Let's turn it up. I think because you've just dazzled us and dazzled me with your with your knowledge and that you talked about the nuances there about the stuff. Chris's philosophy. Most coaches don't know that. 
And most coaches don't even bother teaching that because they don't have that level of understanding. And then maybe it's a much more simplistic approach to the game, which is, yes, yeah, a game, you know, pass and move, and obviously the tactical, you know, nuances of that. And, we, you know, lots of coaches talk about defending as a unit, as nines and all that, blah, 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 boring, boring, whatever. But really, those individual nuances that you've just really put out plain, nine out of ten academies or probably more don't teach those to players individually. So that's probably the difference because they don't see that part of the game and they just assume that players are technical oh it's a natural born gift and that's it if you have it or you don't have it that sort of thing and it's you know rather very you know nature v nurture do you know it's really interesting about what you've said actually because um i think maybe because you know i've been in it for so many seasons now and other than chris i actually don't know another experience right so this is this is what i know so this and i'm not saying that you know, uh, that this will be like my only ever experience because what I want to be able to do is is to then be in a position where I'm adaptable uh, and take this knowledge, you know, take this knowledge on. Um, and one, th- th- there's two things really. So one is around the fact that you can have a practice. It's, are we confident, generally, I'm saying gem- generalizing here, is how confident are we in being able to manipulate the practice? So imagine you've got one practice, and I'm going to take rack or rest as an example. So rack or rest is another 1v1 um, practice, okay? you got you got an area, um, so let's say it's a rectangular area. Um, you've got two gates on one side, two gates on the other. Uh, you've got... So you've got a player on one side, player on the other, and then you've got two support players. Now, with the younger players, so let's say the under nines, they would do rack or rest. And the emphasis in rack or rest is, we would really want you to go 1v1 because we're looking at phone box. So we link it back to, oh, do you remember phone box? Right, great. Okay, this is like that, except it's a bigger arena. But you know what? If you really need help, try and lend it try and lend the ball look you've got two support players there you can try and lend it try and get it back and then you might try and score that that is literally it right and then then obviously you know you'd 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 progress it now we're doing rack or rest with the under 14s what we're talking about now is where does this practice sit on our philosophy pitch because it has to be relatable to their roles, identified roles and responsibility on the pitch. It is not just, well, I'm just going to beat you one, me and you are going to go, I'm just going to beat you 1v1. And if I can lend it, I might lend it to Micah and I might lend it to Furs. It's, it's now, you know, those nuances we talk about, right? So when we've done that practice with the 14s, this is what we're saying. We're saying, right, in the area of the pitch, this is where it happens. We're looking at wide areas attacking the box. Right. If I'm the attacker, wide areas attack in the box. So then we start talking about, right, who might you be on the pitch? Right, I might be against a fullback. OK, who might you be? Oh, we might be one of the midfield players. Oh, you might be the fullback that's going to make an overlap run. OK, so we start talking about who might you be? So then, you know, now when uh, we're talking about um, the attacking. We're really going into, right, when you're attacking, what gate is it you want to try and get into because where does he not want you we're talking about the gate that's nearest to goal when we're talking to the under nines we're not doing that when we're talking to the under 14s we're going hold on why why, what you get why are you going there because if you get through there the crossing is going to be harder no try and get yourself into that gate because you're going to be closer to goal 
crossing opportunity is going to be easier, uh, but, but it might be easier also for you to cut inside and to get shot off yourself. So we're, we're talking now about the nuances that are different to what we might teach with the younger ones. Then with the defenders, where there's, we're then saying, right, where are you on the pitch in this practice? Which gate do you really want to defend? Which gate are you happy to delay and say, I don't mind you being there? And then we'll say, right, show away from the red. Where's the red? Right, it's got to be that gate. It's closer to goal. Where do you want to show them? Show them to that one. It's on the outside. Why? It's going to buy you time. Now, and then if you had your teammates in the, in the back line, now what you're going to do, are you going to show them there? Yeah, Manish, because what I'm going to do now is I'm going to show them there, keep them there, and then I'm waiting for support. Obviously, in Rakoros, we don't have that support. But, you know, these things, these are the conversations we're then having with the 14s around Rakorest. Does that does that make sense in terms of what I'm trying to say? Absolutely, it's a detail, isn't it? It's a technical detail. Now, now I'm, very, I'm I'm conscious we're going over time here a bit. I know you're very busy, so I'm just last question. So, not only are you a qualified teacher and obviously now assistant head of coaching, MBE, obviously, but also you're a bit of a bit of a writer as well. Are you a bit of a you know, a bit of a novel uh, author? That's the word I'm looking for. So, tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So, um, my. My first book, so 50 Wellbeing Lessons for the Diverse Primary Classroom, actually really came into fruition during the first lockdown. So I was on furlough, you know, I had a lot more time, but the ideas around the book have always been with me. And I've always been very passionate about um, wellbeing and mental health and also around diversity. And, you know, I know that's not for this podcast, but my, my journey with, with my brother has really... Um, developed me into the person that I am and I soon realized when I was a primary school teacher that there were very few um, activities and sessions for um, talking about and generating conversations around mental health and and, and really trying to destigmatize it so that we, we we see a you know a positive aspect around well-being and what I wanted to be able to do was to was to produce something that teachers, youth workers, or even football coaches, because I've included like, a, there's a spin in terms of activities um, with some re related to sport, um, could, could use as pastoral or PSHE work. So you have 50 lesson plans across various topics. One example I can give you is a young boy called Raj. I've made up the character. Um, who's a Sikh, where he's, he wears a turban, a visibly Sikh boy. He's bullied at his grassroots football club. And there's a story about Raj, and then there's questions um, that, you know, the, whether it, the, the adult can then, can, can then pose. So you've got 50 lessons um, across these various topics uh, with photocopyable resources. I'm not saying it will solve a problem. I'm just saying that, you know, it was there. It was, it was something that it was important to me. And something that I felt actually may help other people. And then I, in my second lockdown, well, in our second lockdown, I started to work madly on another book, which thankfully now um, is being published with Hope Road Publishing. And this one I'm really, really excited about. So it's a children's book. It's a storybook. And it's called Dream Like Me, South Asian Football Trailblazers. And we have over 40 South Asian people at the top of their game. I've worked with a ghostwriter. We've turned their narrative into a short children's story with comprehension questions um, and, and illustrations to represent that character. And, you know, that, that for me is like a really exciting project at the minute. So it's in with publication um, and... Uh, 
I'll have more information soon. Wow, keep me posted. So the last question normally is, you know, you know what what's left, what what's your aspirations for the future? But you sound like you've done anything if and already, Manisha. Surely, like you know, you must be sort of running out of uh, the, the to do list. The bucket list is is pretty short. You know, I always say, look, we we should be we should feel confident and comfortable to achieve whatever it is that we want to achieve. Like, there's nothing that's too small or too big, and um, I, I want to. I'm in a place now where. I, I want to continue to learn and get better at the things that I'm currently doing. I'm on my A license um, and I have been since June 20, 2020 because of the lockdown. So, you know, I want to, <laughs> so I want to continue, you know, always, you know, continue um, and, and achieve and, and pass my A license. And, um, and I suppose the next part really is around in terms of my professional career is where that might take me, whether that's um, head of coaching, uh, academy manager, technical director or even a director of football like Les. Manisha, thanks very much for joining us. It's been fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.